Thanks, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to see you this morning. We have the privilege of opening up God's Word together. And we're going to be, just in a moment, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 40. So if you want to uh, grab, uh, if you get, use your phone, use your iPad, you want to grab one of these Bibles in front of you, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. So you open up and just travel past the table of contents there and on to chapter 40. We will be there in just a moment. It, has this ever happened to you? In fact, it's something, and I wasn't anticipating this, it's something that just happened to me not even a minute ago, and this is true. Have you ever sent an important text message? Now, I'm not advocating for texting in church, but I am, I am re- repenting from doing it just a minute ago. Have you ever sent a text message, uh, an important message to somebody, and you are anticipating the return? It's one of those messages where maybe it's just somebody, maybe you're talking to them for for the first time and you're kind of excited about that. Maybe this could turn into a dating relationship. You've met somebody and so you text them and, and you're anticipating the return. Maybe it's your boss at work and you've messaged them on Teams and you're, you're anticipating what that response could be that they come back with. I see some head nods on that one. Uh, it could be that you're in an, in an argument with somebody, or your relationship has been strained in some way, so you send that text hoping that they're going to text back. Maybe you're planning on spending time with somebody, and so you send this message. For me, just a few seconds ago, I realized that I had sent my slides to the computer up in the balcony out of order, and I was texting Mikey Corcoran, who's sitting there running the slides, saying, my slides are out of order. Is there any way you can rearrange them? So you send that text, and then you wait. And the anticipation builds. And then you see, like I just did a few seconds ago, it's red. On teams, that little eyeball pops up or a check mark happens or, or that, little, that, little, uh, that little note on your text message says it's been read. And then sometimes you start to see the little dots. You know what I was talking about? You start to see the little dots. It means they're responding. They're responding. Thankfully, Mike responded to me and he moved this very slide to the front of the deck right where I wanted. Can we give Mike a hand, please, for doing that? Thank you. So now it's here. Now you get to see it. But other times, do you know what this feels like? You see the check mark, you see the dots, and the dots disappear. Nothing. And then the dots pop up again, and the dots, the dots start going, and they start rolling, and then they disappear, and silence. And then it's like an hour, and then it's two hours, and it's a day, and it's two days, and then you start to get that feeling, okay, one of two things has happened here. Either they've forgotten the best thing to do is, is assume positive terms. But none of us assume positive terms. Our brains are wired for threat, right? So we assume the negative. Either we feel like they've forgotten, or even worse, we feel like they have willfully forgotten us. They know we sent a message, and they know we're looking for a response. And they have either, because it's not convenient for them, or it's not worth their time, or they don't, they don't really appreciate how important that message was to us, they have read it, they have received it, and then they've gone on, and they've either accidentally, or in the, the most frustrating cases, willfully forgotten about us. 
And that's a, that's a, a really challenging feeling to deal with, isn't it? When it feels like someone forgets, someone abandons, somebody just doesn't have the time for you. It's a really challenging feeling. And I don't know about you, but I feel like as in a world that we live in that's so busy where everybody is out for their own priorities, it seems to be happening more and more. When I was a kid and the phone rang, I mean, there was a mad dash in our house to answer it. The phones were on the wall. They had cords. We didn't even have an answering machine when I was really young. And when that phone rang, it didn't even matter who was calling. My sisters and I, we, it was like a wrestling match to get to that thing and get it off the hook and get to be the one that says, hello, thank you for calling the Krogh household. And now today, if the phone rings, I want to smash it off the table. I don't know of anyone else. Like the last thing I want to have happen is the phone to ring. That's the worst. Unless it's one of you. But that, in, that, in a world like that, it happens more and more where we're trying to get in touch with someone, we want to hear from somebody, and it's just like we're, we're shooed away, we're abandoned, we're forgotten. And that's a really difficult thing to, to deal with. And let me tell you, I know that some of you are sitting here right now walking through this exactly where you're at. This isn't something that you felt in the past. It's something that you're feeling today. And I know for all of us, if you're not feeling it today, you'll feel it at some point this week. For some of us at a very high level, for some of us it'll just be a frustrating level between coworkers or friends or whatever it ends up being, your husband, your wife, your children. But all of those moments where you're trying to communicate, you're trying to say there's something important, and the person just isn't giving it back to you, and you feel abandoned, and you feel left out, and you feel forgotten. This morning in the life of Joseph, we see exactly how to deal with those moments. And you're going to see that when the way that Joseph handles a moment like this in his own life, it's instructive not just for the big ones. It's instructive for all the big ones, the times that we truly are abandoned, the times that we truly are forgotten, the times that we truly are left behind, but it's also very instructive for the little ones, the slights, the bug, the things that bug us. As we get into the life of Joseph this week, and as Andrew said, we've been looking at the life of Joseph uh, over these past few weeks, and we'll do so up until Palm Sunday here in a couple of weeks. We're looking at a story that happened somewhere, something like 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 years before Jesus was on this earth. We're talking about something that happened a long time ago. And then, yet it's amazing as you look through the life of Joseph, how all the different things that he faces, how relevant and applicable they are to us today. So far, Joseph started as a young man who had dreams, and he shared them with his family, right? The dreams were something like this. I dreamed that I was a star, and you, my 11 brothers, were also stars, and there was the sun and the moon, which, which, uh, and they were all bowing down to me. 
And then he told his family, we were all gathering grain, and, and my b- bundle of grain was here, and all your bundles of grain were bowing down to my bundle of grain. And it doesn't take an Ivy League-trained dream interpreter to understand what those dreams are saying. And Joseph's brothers were not happy that he was dreaming as a young man, one of the youngest children in his family, that eventually all of them would bow down and worship him, and he would be their leader. He didn't like that at all. And so uh, they took him and they threw him in a pit. Uh, They were going to kill him. And eventually they changed those plans and they sold him into slavery. So Joseph being sold into slavery found himself working in the house of the captain of the guard of Pharaoh in Egypt. And he did well. The Lord was with him, the Bible says. He blessed him. He became in charge of the household. And then as we looked at last week, he was falsely accused of assaulting Potiphar's wife. And so he went from dreamer to slave, to head of the household, to prison, unjustly, unlawfully. And that's where we find Joseph today. The amazing thing about Joseph, though, in this text, is he doesn't stop. The Lord's with him in prison. He gives him favor. And Joseph, again, rises to the top, and he becomes so trusted as a prisoner. You're going to see in the text in just a second that they put him in charge. And the prison guards, they don't even worry about anything that Joseph is overseeing in the prison because they trust him. This is what it says. I'm going to start at the very end of Genesis 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night, they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So, The chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. 
and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cakes, cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. When I read that story, and as I've prayed and thought about that story over the past couple of weeks, and and ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to say today? I feel like the, sta- the thing that sticks with me is not something that I see explicitly in the text, but it's something that I feel like has to be going on in the mind and heart of Joseph in this situation. Here for the second time really in his life, he has been thrown into a dungeon, first by his brothers with the intention to kill him, and secondly by Potiphar with the intention to punish him. But two times now, very unjustly, he's been left in these places that are terrible places and forgotten about. And I can't help but think that Joseph is what must be walking through what I feel like I would walk through in a moment like this. And I feel like after a couple of decades of walking in pastoral ministry, I know others who follow Jesus Christ feel like, and even talking to people who would not call themselves Christians, when people walk through times like this in their life, they seem to have the same emotion when it comes to their relationship with God. And that is this. When you feel forgotten by others, when you feel abandoned by others, when you feel like you have been unfairly treated by others, it's really easy to start thinking that God has forgotten you. That has to be going on in Joseph's mind. That temptation has to be there. And I know for me that that is true. When I feel like people are ignoring me, when I feel like I've been abandoned, when I feel like people are breaking promises, when I feel like God has told me something that would happen and I don't see it coming true, it's easy for me to start to say, yeah, God's, God's, God blesses other people, but not me. I've heard some of you say that. God blesses other people, not me. God hears the prayers of other people, not mine. 
It's easy to start thinking that. And the one verse that sticks out to me in this whole chapter is that very last verse, right? You see what happens with Joseph and these, and these prisoners. And Joseph's reaction to me is remarkable because I got to tell you, after years and years, about 13 years at this point, or about 11 years, because he's going to spend two more years in prison after this, about 11 years in, Joseph still has this remarkable capacity and this remarkable attitude to care about the people around him. Dreams in the ancient Near East were a way that people felt like the gods spoke to them. And so the cupbearer and the baker, they have these, these dreams in prison. And they're bothered. And Joseph provides the interpretation for them. And it's a true interpretation. It's a good interpretation. And the cupbearer is ultimately restored to his position. Now, I think you look at the text today and you say, okay, cupbearer and baker, it feels like there should be a candlestick maker in there somewhere, but there's not. Like you got the cupbearer and you got the baker. Why are these two people so important and so valuable? If This is the ancient world. If you're going to get rid of a king, if you're going to get rid of a pharaoh, poison is a great way to do it. So the people handing you your food are some of your most trusted people in your in your royal palace. The cupbearer and the baker held high, high positions of trust in Pharaoh's cabinet there. And if Pharaoh didn't trust them, he would be very quick to get rid of them. And we're not sure what the cupbearer and the baker did. Maybe they posted something on their social media Pharaoh didn't like. I don't know. But they did something where Pharaoh threw them into prison. And the prophecy for the cupbearer and the baker were both true. Obviously one was good, one was bad. But Joseph says to the cupbearer, just do me a favor. You're getting out in three days. I'm not supposed to be here. Just remember me. And the cupbearer leaves in the last verse of this chapter, the way it's split up, says this. Yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. but forgot him. Two more years Joseph will spend in prison. This isn't like, oh yeah, there was this thing that happened in prison and I just slipped my mind. The cupbearer knows what happened in prison. He knows why he's out. But it's not advantageous to him to tell Pharaoh these things doesn't sit well for him to go and say, oh, Pharaoh, can you help me get a buddy out of prison who interpreted my dream for me? That doesn't serve him well. He's trying to regain trust. It's not time to call in a favor. This is a willful forget forgetfulness, and some of you know exactly what this feels like. And when this happens, it's so easy to feel like God forgot I was thinking about this, and I was reminded of this moment in this movie, Toy Story 2. I don't know if you've seen this one. came out in 1999, which made me feel old. 
And then I made the mistake this morning of saying, Ting, how old were you when this came out? Ting, our bass player. And he said, three. And then I had to repent about everything I thought after he said that. In this movie, I, if you've seen the Toy Story movies, you know Andy and Woody are inseparable. Inseparable. It's his favorite toy. And there's this moment where Andy is going to cowboy camp, and of course he's going to bring Woody to cowboy camp. And so he picks up Woody in the movie, and he noticed that Woody's arm is ripped, and there's a little stuffing popping out of his arm. And there's this moment where the toy's greatest fears are realized where Andy says, you're broken. I don't want to play with you anymore. And there's this scene where he drops Woody and he falls very slowly to the floor. I've sat with many of you over the years. And we've talked about some very serious things financial challenge, the diagnosis, the broken relationship, the challenges with children, the unfulfilled, unrealized dreams and visions. And at some point it feels like God looks at us and says, you're broken. And I don't have time for you anymore. And that had to be a temptation for Joseph. And there's some of you in that room that know, in the room right now that know exactly what I'm talking about because you're feeling it right now. If you've never felt this, there'll be a time you do. Where things are so challenging in life, it feels like God has let you go. That will happen. And when you find yourself in those moments, I want to encourage you this morning to do exactly what Joseph does. Joseph does this amazing thing in the middle of the chapter. And I can tell you right now, it's not something I would have been in a place to do. Joseph, in this place where he could easily feel forgotten by God, he certainly must feel forgotten by others. He even says it to the cupbearer. I'm here unjustly. I'm not supposed to be here. Remember me and help me get out of here. He comes and he, and he does that. And yet Joseph finds the capacity in the middle of this space to remember God. Do you remember what happens? The cupbearer and the baker, they wake up one morning and they come to Joseph and Joseph says, why are your faces downcast today? You know what I would say in that moment? If I'm in prison for this long and my fellow prisoners are looking a little sad in the morning, I would say, join the club. It's terrible in here. I'm having a bad day. You're having a bad day. Just deal with it. And if you're going to have that look on your face, at least face the wall or something so that I don't have to see it. That would be my attitude in that moment. But Joseph expresses empathy and he expresses compassion. And he says, why are you so sad? And they say at the beginning of verse 8, they say, we've had dreams and no one can interpret them. Dreams were a way that people in that time felt that God talked to them. By the way, the scripture, the Bible is full of moments where God speaks to people through dreams. And he absolutely still does it today. 
especially in the, in, the, in the Muslim world, there are story after story of people having dreams of the risen Christ and then coming to knowledge, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's still happening today. I think it's important to understand that not every dream that you have needs to be interpreted and is from God. Sometimes it's bad chili, and that just happens. But God still speaks. He still speaks in that way. And he's trying to get the attention of the cupbearer and the baker. And they say there's no one to interpret our dreams because they were pagan and they would have gone to a pagan temple and done a pagan ritual to try to figure this out. But Joseph does something I think is remarkable here. Because I would have said, I had dreams too, fellas. I had this dream. My family was all bowing down to me. Let me tell you something. Dreams don't come true. Look where it ended me. I'm in jail. He doesn't say that. He says, God's here, fellas. God's here in the jail with us. God's present is among us. And I believe that. And I believe the interpretations of your dream belong to him. So you know what? You tell me your dreams and I will pray and see what God says. And to me, that is an incredible response for Joseph to make, to remember God in the midst of being forgotten and abandoned by the people around him and being forgotten by those uh, who were supposed to be his family and who were supposed to love him. He's been rejected and dismissed by all of these people unjustly. And yet he finds the capacity in this place to remember God. It's a hard thing to do. And this morning I've actually invited a couple from our church who are kind of in the middle of it to tell you a little bit about what they feel like God is saying to them while they're in this place. This room is full of testimonies of people who have come through it. But I felt like as I was preparing for this sermon, God said to me, let's hear from someone who's in the middle of it. And so I asked Henry and Dorcas Bosa, and I'm going to invite them up in a minute, if they would come and, and share a little bit about what God's saying to them. But let me tell you a little bit about what is, what is happening. Dorcas and Henry, Dorcas led us in worship this morning. Henry plays the guitar. I always tell Henry he's a great guitar player. He doesn't like when I overstate his ability. So he told me, Eric Clapton's a great guitar player. John Mayer's a great guitar player. I'm a decent guitar player. In my mind, Henry is a great guitar player. But for his sake, I'll just say he's a decent guitar player, all right? Henry and Dorcas have been part of our church for a couple of years now. Sometimes you see Dorcas and sometimes you don't. And the reason is, is because Henry is here, like many people, for years and years waiting for his immigration case to be heard. He has a good case that needs to be heard. It's just the system is so backed up. Five years waiting, doing everything the right way and waiting. Dorcas is a citizen of the United Kingdom and lives in Manchester, England. 
they got married knowing that their marriage would begin with them apart. And so there's certain times that Dorcas is, can come and visit and certain times that, that she can't. So that's a faith move to say, even though this is our situation, and even though we can't fix it right now, we're going to trust that God wants us to be together, and we're going to enter into marriage. Now, last year, you may, may remember, I serve as the executive pastor at Mount Hope. We were hiring a director of operations. Mount Hope is two church congregations and a, and a fantastic school of like 330 people. We have a, over 80 employees, so there's a lot to take care of. We needed a director of operations. And so we, we put it out there and we started interviewing people. And it wasn't just me. We had board members, our senior pastor, the head of our school. All of us were involved in this process. And we interviewed some, some pretty uh, great candidates, but they did not feel like the right fit. And one day I was talking to Dorcas. She was visiting. And she, we were standing right back there by the sound booth. And she started telling me about her background. And I said, Dorcas, why are you not applying for this job? You were the perfect fit for this job. And she said, well, here's my situation. I don't work in the U.S. I can't work in the U.S. But God told us to move forward. So last April, Dorcas started working as a contractor from the U.K. remotely with us. And she is awesome at this job. I'm not even going to tamp that down. I'm not going to say she's decent at the job because she is awesome at the job. Yeah, it's great, right? But Dorcas has to go home tomorrow after being with us for a couple of months in person. We, they are more importantly in this marriage and we are less importantly but still significantly working together. Believing that God has a plan. And every time a door is shut with lawyers, and every time an opportunity doesn't go through, you feel forgotten. And I asked Dorcas and Henry if they would come and just for a couple of moments tell us what God is saying to them in the midst of this reality. So would you welcome Dorcas and Henry as they come this morning? Come on up here. Come on up. I know, then we're going to make you sing right after this. Um, I need a minute. Just give me a minute. <laughs> I think it's... Um, it's really hard when you're in the middle of it. Um, when you feel like God clearly said something. Um, and then he opened all these doors with the job. And, um, and here we are a year later, still in the exact same position. But when we started worship this morning, I said, I'm feeling hopeful. Um, and it's because there's, there's a couple of scriptures I've been 
relying on, but there's one that keeps coming, and it's Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And I, I'm a planner. I don't know if anybody is like me. I need a plan A, B, C, D. Like, I need to know what's happening. And for the first time, I feel like I'm out of control. I have no idea what's about to happen. But I feel hopeful because I know that his ways are better than my ways. And we can plan and plan and plan. But his, his plan is always going to be better than ours. And so... If you are in the same position, I want to encourage you that every difficulty, every season, every challenge that you go through is a chance for God to reveal another character of himself to you. For me in this season, he's revealing that he's a father. A father is kind. A father looks out for his daughter. A father doesn't want me to be away from my husband. He is a man of his word. And he is faithful to bring this to an end. I didn't start this. He did. I felt so unqualified for this job. We've had many conversations. Um, but he had a plan and he set it in motion. And so I have, as his daughter, I have to fall into his arms and to just trust that he's got a good plan. And that's what I encourage you to, that... Ask God to tell you what character of himself he's trying to reveal in your situation right now. It might be that he's trying to show you that he's a provider. It might be that he's trying to show you that he's your, a restorer. You know, whatever it is, ask him to show you what it is. Because without understanding or having a glimpse of that, it can get really challenging to keep going. He is a man of his word. And the song we're about to sing has a refrain that it says, if it's not good, then it's, it's not done. If it's not good, then he's not done. And that's what I encourage you to stand on today. That's what I'm standing on. And it's what, it's what we need to stand on to be able to get through whatever it is that we're facing. If it's not good, then he's not done. Thank you so much. Hi everyone, um, not a good public speaker, so um, I was not going to talk, but apparently I was not going to eat tonight, so <laughs> I said I'll <would> just talk. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the um, series we covered um, some, some time back about Jacob, and um, I think we were, I think the series were about unstoppable blessings, I think so, yeah, and we covered the life of Jacob, and, um, and, and I, well, I don't remember much, but Pastor, I remember Pastor Justin was speaking that Sunday, and I think he covered um, two brothers and two altars that that whole sermon but one thing that got stuck uh, with me was when he was concluding the sermon and he said he asked 
He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But is he my God? And that question got stuck in my head till today. I feel like is he my God? Is working for all these people, like Pastor was saying, and you hear um, people's um, um, testimonies about these things that God has done for them, mm, and you're like, is he my God? Is he gonna work? You know, and I've discussed some things with Pastor um, about faith and you know those dark times of uncertainty my father has been here for 20 years and he just recently got his citizenship and he's this person I know who is a, a believer um, he prays all the time and he's a good Christian but 20 years in America and that's when he got his citizenship so I'm like Oh my God, is it gonna take us the you know the time that Israelites got <laughs> you know like from the Egypt? It spent forty years. Are we gonna take forty years to get you know citizenship here? But um, I have a, a, a prayerful woman, you know, more prayerful than I am, and. I know this is going to happen, but again, is he my God? So for me, that's, that's stuck in my head. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Amy. That's such a powerful question, isn't it? Have you asked yourself that question? I know so many of you in the room have. God works for those people. He works for that person. He works for the person on TV. He works for the person on TikTok that you saw. But he doesn't work for me. He's the God of, of, of the pastor. He's the God of the missionary. He's the God of the, the, the all-star person, Christian. But I'm not sure he's my God. That word for God in the text that we read about with Joseph, that Hebrew word for God is used multiple times throughout, throughout the Old Testament. Almost always it's used about a person forgetting another person or a person forgetting their belongings. Many times it's used about us forgetting God. There is one place where I could find where that word is used specifically about who God is and it's in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. And this is what Isaiah says. This is what God says through his prophet. And this is what God says to you this morning. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. That same word that's used about the cupbearer forgetting Joseph, God says to you, I will not forget you. I will not abandon you. 
And I'm going to invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes. And in a moment, our worship team is going to play a song. And many times we stand up and we, and we uh, sing with the worship team. Not this morning. This morning is a morning for us to think and to pray and to respond what God might be saying in your heart right now. And I'm going to ask, Garris, if you could dim these house lights as we take some time and spend a little bit of time here before we go this morning in reflection. Joseph goes to the cupbearer and with desperation in his voice, he says, please, I'm just asking you to remember me when you leave this place. And yet God allows Joseph to sit in that dark prison for another two years. Why? Because God had forgotten about Joseph? No, no. Because Joseph wanted out of prison, but God was in the business of saving a nation. Your Savior hung on the cross. And Matthew writes that he screamed out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your Savior, Jesus Christ, knows exactly what it feels like to feel left alone and abandoned by God. If you're feeling that today, there isn't a single thing you're feeling that Jesus Christ himself did not feel. And he could, have, he could have, with everything inside of himself, taken himself off of that cross and abandoned the plan, but he stayed on that cross for you and for me, and he experienced the fullness of death. Why? Because he knew that he wanted to escape death, but God had in his plan a resurrection. Joseph is about to go from the prison to the palace. We're going to look at that next week. He goes from being in the prison to being second in command over all of Egypt. Jesus goes from the grave to life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has taken you from death to life. And I don't know where you are, but there are all sorts of prisons that we have in our hearts and in our lives that we try to find our way out of. But God has a bigger plan. For you. And all we need to do this morning is to take time to remember God and remember who He is. And remember, He's the God who does not forget, He's the God who does not abandon, He's the God that does not leave us alone. Even when everybody in the world leaves us alone, even when they forget and they abandon and they push us aside, God never does. And I'm just wondering this morning with your head, eyes closed and your heads bowed, who here in the room is in a place where you need to this morning? Just remember that about God. Would you be willing to slip your hands up? This is between you and the Lord. You say, that's me this morning. I am in that place. I know for me, I find myself in that place often. There are a number of hands up around the room. And I'm in the place where I need to remember God. I need to be reminded that I am not forgotten, that I am not abandoned, that I am not left alone. Some of you know someone who is in that place. 
in the next couple of moments, our worship team is going to sing a song. And this is time for you to spend time in prayer with the Lord. This is not time for us to come and to listen to music and to hear a talk and then to go. We should be here and encountering the risen Christ together. So this is our time to do it, to spend time in prayer, to spend time with the Lord, to spend time hearing from him and to pray and be prayed for. And so I'm going to invite you as this song is played to come and to either stand in the front of the room, kneel at these altars and there will be people who will come and place a hand on your shoulder and pray as you pray. I'm going to ask if Andrew and Rosemary would be present and Lori and I will be present here. If you would like to come to us and ask us to pray with you, we are here to pray with you. But as this team plays, don't be shy. Don't miss this opportunity. Come and pray. You can come here and kneel at this altar on your own. You can come and stand in this place. You can come and sit in this front row. There's something about movement that is significant in our response to the Lord. It's not magical. It's just significant. It's I'm responding to what God is saying to me today. So as the team plays, let's respond and let's spend this time together. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, come to the front. We would love to pray with you this morning. Let's worship our God together.